Foundation, an episode-by-episode podcast review of CBS's action-adventure series, MacGyver. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we'll be tackling Reboot Season 1, Episode 4, Wire Cutter. episode is October 14th, 2016, today for us, uh, yesterday for you, if you're an avid listener, or today for you, mm-hmm. if you're in this room somewhere, and I don't see you. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, this episode was directed by Joe Dante. Yes. Oh my god. Fantastic. I, of all the things like to, to occur during our MacGyver marathon, we finally get an episode with, like... One of our favorite directors. Favorite directors, home. like, because cause he does a lot of TV. Yeah. But, um, obviously, like... We never expected this going into the show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, who probably weren't in attendance, maybe some of you listening were, um, my famed uh, Joe Dante Marathon. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, he has directed such films as Gremlins, The Howling... Inner Space, Explorers, The Burbs, uh, you know, Looney Tunes back in action, though we don't hold that against him. Yeah, uh, I kind of do, a little bit. But but and, and a slew of TV. Gremlins uh, 2. Yeah, Gremlins 2. The best one. Uh, he Recently, he has done a movie called Bearing the X, okay. uh, which I uh, believe starred that, uh, uh, that actor who passed away recently, Anton Yelton. I never know how Yelchin. to say it. Yelchin. Yeah. Um, start him. Didn't Barry and the X also have the guy from last week's episode in it? Um, I think so, yeah. I think I mentioned... Yeah. I think I mentioned... I brought that up because of the Joe Dante connection. I just remembered that he was in two things with X in the title. Because mm-hmm. he's also in... What did you say the other thing was about the big party? Project X? Oh, Project X. That's so right. That's Barry right. Burying the X and Project X. Um, this is a stupid side tangent, but I just remember the time that we went to go see... Uh, the whole. Uh, well, we were we wanted we we, we had we, screener tickets to see an advanced yeah like a test screening of the whole mm-hmm. which was a Joe Dante film, and as Joe Dante fans we were very excited to see it. But then when we got to the theater they were like, "Yeah, you're not the demographic for this movie." Yeah, it's like what we're huge Joe Dante fans. Yeah, it's Let like us see the movie. We are the demographic. We love Joe Dante. Yeah, we are the people that are going to go see this when it comes out. And I think it was like he's like, "This is for kids. Get out of here." Yeah, it's and it was like two years later that I finally saw that film because it didn't get a yeah, U.S. release. Yeah, it took release. a while to come out. Yeah, um, and it's okay actually. It's actually right on par with like a really good episode of like Goosebumps or uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, the cover just reminded me of The Gate. Mm-hmm. So. Oh yeah, and there's some really creepy stuff because like again, like Joe Dante having done like Gremlins and The Howling, like he's got a horror and obviously Piranha. Um, he's got a horror background. You Who know? did the werewolf effects for howling was that rob botten also um i want to say that it was but i'm not 100 percent because he definitely did explorers and i think rob botten did uh american werewolf in london i thought that was uh i think it was both of them yeah yeah because yeah rob botten was uh worked on the howling yeah because i'm pretty sure that um John Landis was talking about that when they did American Werewolf in London that that Rob Botton was like a kid on set. Jeez. And it was like Rick Baker did the regular effects, but mm-hmm. then he was teaching Rob Botton how to do it, and then Rob Botton turned around and did it for The Howling, and then it won an Oscar. 
for the werewolf effects like <laughs> immediately after they had like figured out how to do it for American Werewolf in London. But yeah, that's a that's a tangent for another day. Yeah. Um, the writer for this episode is John Turman, who has some pretty significant credits in his own right, including uh, Hulk. Not mm. the Hulk, but Hulk. Yeah, the the Ang Lee Hulk. The, yeah, the Ang Lee Hulk uh, with Eric Bana. And uh, he also wrote the sequel to the Fantastic Four film, uh, Rise of the Silver Surfer, mm-hmm. which I actually never saw the second one. Yeah, yeah. Is it okay? It's, I didn't uh, hate the first one. It, well, then you probably won't hate the second one. Yeah. It's it's pretty on par with just kind of like, yeah, okay. Yeah, but not as bad as the new Fantastic Four movie, from what yeah. I understand. Because Chris Evans, like, I really like him. Yeah, no, and, he's great. And, and he was great in, as the Human Torch. And there were some funny scenes, because, uh, like, they do, like, some... Silver Surfer has some, like, weird body swap stuff. Who is the Silver Surfer in that? Uh, Doug Jones. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Because whenever you need someone to portray yeah, a character... because Andy Serkis not... was busy. Yeah. <laughs> we need a really tall, Yeah, we need skinny... a tall CG character. <laughs> we need a short one or an ape-like one, then you call Andy Serkis. Right. If you need a tall one to look like an alien... That's then, it. You call Doug, you call Doug Jones. Jones. Amazing, amazingly talented mocap actor and and actor in general um yeah yeah yeah. he's very creepy he uh i always i liked him uh in uh hocus pocus as right as billy the he's got his mouth sewn shut yeah yeah uh he's great yeah um so why don't we describe the plot of this episode in brief well in this episode a uh i guess he is a russian terrorist but basically he's not really a terrorist he this gentleman would like to restart the Cold War, and he's... And win it overnight. Yeah. Um, so he's got a small military force, he's stealing a nuclear weapon, and he plans to detonate it. Yeah, he's stealing Cold War-era nuclear bombs. Mm-hmm. Um, and we start the episode with another opening gambit, the shortest yet. Yeah, oh my gosh. Um, it, it didn't even relate to anything that was going to happen or that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's at the. Uh, it doesn't even try to continue like the underlying like story arcs mm-hmm. between episodes either. It was just like, all right, we're running through a place called like Galata, Galata, Galata Defense. Defense Solutions. It's a rogue intelligence agency, so I guess it's supposed to be like the anti Phoenix Foundation. But it's like still a facility that's in one place at all mm-hmm. times. Like it just seems weird. Like a rogue intelligence agency should be. Mobile. Like mobile, not yeah. like just a building that you can keep going to and attacking. But uh, uh, they all are running through it and shooting at people, and then they get in the car to leave. But MacGyver's taking too long because he got stranded in a room. Yeah, he's he's in a room. He's uploading a virus from his phone to whatever to their system. I'm assuming. Right. And we're watching the percentage go up as he's building, essentially like a high school volcano in a bottle. Mm-hmm. He's got vinegar and baking soda, which were just sitting out in this room. Right. And then he throws it like it's a hand grenade at a bunch of people that are busting in on him. Because, you know, where you keep your computer servers is also right. a great place to store vinegar and baking soda. Yeah. Usually together. Maybe there was a kid that's like a rogue intelligence kid that that had a volcano due the next day. <laughs> but um, everyone except for MacGyver is already in the car getting ready to go. And Patricia Thornton is saying, we have to leave him here. It's yeah. his own bad. He should have been in the car well, by now. Well, yeah, he, he he said that that they should leave without him if he's not there. Yeah, and, but and but Jack is fire. not letting them do that. Right, and Jack is making them wait, and he's firing, you know, in front of Patricia's face, like yeah. deafening her to shoot at people. 
Um, and then he's like, he's like, we gotta wait, we gotta stand back, we gotta, mm-hmm. we gotta stay here, we can't go anywhere until. And then you hear something slam on the roof of the car, and then MacGyver leans over the windshield, and he's like, go, 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 and he's like, you heard the man. <laughs> and then they skid off, and that's the end of the opening gambit. Yeah, it's it's just that quick. Like there, there's no, and there's no repercussions from this. Like, yeah. It's just the next day after we come back from the credits. Yeah, it's not clear if this is like just like a a flag football game. They're all shooting blanks at each other, and mm-hmm. this is just like a thing they do every once in a while. They do a data raid yeah. against each other's facilities. It's it's the 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 uh, Archer brand of ISIS versus Odin. Yeah, exactly. Um, but now we move on to the actual story of the episode, which the beginning is a helicopter shot of the Hollywood Hills, mm-hmm. and then we move into the impossible to afford uh, yeah. MacGyver and Bozer abode, Yeah, where uh, it seems like an uh, intervention is taking place. Right, for MacGyver. Which is just another excuse to get all these people in the same room. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, it, it's, almost, it's almost like an early 90s kids action show. Uh, yeah, it's like, like James Bond Jr. Yeah, it's like, oh, we have to go because meetings. Yeah. And it's like, oh, because we have to keep a secret from, from this, this guy. guy. We can't tell this guy that that uh, for some reason your IT job is paying you $180,000 a year so that yeah, you can so afford you can, this place. And and you're basically paying for everything because Bozer is not contributing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so... They're all very concerned because MacGyver has been searching for Nikki Carpenter. I really want for it to turn out that he, Bozer knew the whole time. Like, when oh, he eventually I, tells him, like, I know what's going to happen on the show. I'm guessing, like, the finale or the the penultimate episode, he's going to get kidnapped or involved in the mission somehow. Mm-hmm. But I really want for when he's like, look, I got to tell you something. He's like, you're a secret agent, right? And he's like, what? <laughs> Dude, I knew the whole time. Okay. I'm not gonna. I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm ask not, questions. I'm not, I'm not trying to look a gift horse in the mouth. You're paying for everything. <laughs> Just do what you got to do. You do you. Be in my movie and <laughs> yeah. the one thing you got to play this alien. Uh, yeah. So Bozer discovered that MacGyver has been searching for Carpenter, Nikki Carpenter, on his laptop because Bozer used it because he was kicked off of his Netflix account and yeah. <laughs> he wanted to borrow Max. Yeah. Um, I'm curious how he got kicked off of his Netflix account. Like uh, he was using well, someone else's. Well, well, I think it was a matter of just not paying for it. Oh, okay. I thought the implication was that he was he was using one that he didn't pay for in the first place, and that someone changed their password or something oh. like that. Like he had an ex girlfriend's Netflix account or something. Well, then why wouldn't he just? Well, this is why he would be using Max anyway. Yeah. Um, but of course, MacGyver does not leave his computer logged out. I also doubt MacGyver has Netflix. <laughs> Um, He's more of a Hulu guy. Yeah. He's always seemed like an Amazon Prime. (laughs) Nobody seems like an Amazon Prime person. Um, But yeah, so uh, yeah, he went to open MacGyver's computer and is not suspicious at all of this highly complex map Mm -hmm. that seems to be just searching the galaxy for anyone with Nicky Carpenter's face. Yeah, it's a facial recognition uh, program that's just scanning the entire planet looking for her. Hoping that they're facing the satellite. Maybe she'll lay down outside somewhere. <laughs> she loves to sunbathe. I yeah. know it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's going to happen. 
Um, but yeah, so everyone is there. That's Patricia, Jack, Riley, Bozer, and Penny Parker. And Penny Parker. Are all sitting around the table. Um, and this person playing Penny Parker, uh, her name is Bianca Milino- Difficult last name. Milinowski. Malinowski. I'm going to say Malinowski. Malinowski. Uh, uh, she is playing Penny Parker to a T. She is playing the totally perfect Penny Parker. Like, she's exactly like Penny Parker on the original show. Like, down to the intonation and the facial mm-hmm. expressions and everything. She's just nailing it. But she really doesn't get much to do in this episode. Yeah. I'm sure we'll see her again. MacGyver describes her as his first girlfriend, first yeah. kiss. And they, we actually even get a quick insert of MacGyver's first kiss taking mm-hmm. place on some back porch somewhere. And, uh, yeah, but they uh, have maintained their friendship. Right. And she calls him Angus versus Mac or MacGyver, right. like, like everyone else does. But they're all here to support him because they know that he's obsessed with his dead girlfriend and mm-hmm. he needs to get over it. Um, it's kind of callous of them. Yeah. To all join together to tell him to get over it. Well, especially from Bozer's point of view. Because he's the one who thinks that she's actually dead. Dead in a car accident. The rest of them are like, yeah, she's out there. You probably should be looking for her. Just like everyone else should. Yeah, but But Bozer's the one who's like, dude, your girlfriend died. Get over it. I brought your ex here to cheer you up, even though she's not interested in you. (laughs) And she's cute, too. You're not helping me, Bozer. She's cute and she is single. (laughs) <laughs> and I might ask her out if you don't mind. Why would I not mind? <laughs> How about Riley then? <laughs> You've been asking her out since you met her. Uh, but I think Jack informed uh, Bozer that Riley is off limits. Right, yeah. He's still been hitting on her the whole time. He didn't get a, a phone number this week. Yeah, literal, oh, that's literal true. number. Oh, I, I can't believe that they d- dropped that. Yeah, uh, why would they have uh, not carried that through the whole season? I can't remember. Was the implication that potentially Riley is Jack's daughter? Because she she just mentions that he dated her mom and that she remembers not liking him. Yeah, I, d- I don't think so. Okay. I guess they didn't. They weren't super clear, but I don't think I don't think they're they're supposed to be related. Mm. Uh, Patricia gets a call during the intervention and says that they have a meeting they have to get to. Right. Uh, at their tech firm. Yeah. So they head over to the Phoenix Foundation and they're live streaming with Carla Bannister. Not only that, but she says we have a meeting in 15 minutes. Yeah. They're they're on like a mountaintop mansion. It's going to take 15 and minutes. And they're going to get to the Phoenix Foundation in 15 minutes. It takes me 15 minutes just to get up to the observatory from like street level. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out where the Phoenix Foundation could possibly be because when they show it, they just say like, somewhere like they don't yeah. even say specifically where it is and it's like well it's definitely in the hollywood area because <laughs> you couldn't even get to silver lake in 15 minutes los feliz <laughs> it's in the los feliz area everywhere's 20 minutes away <laughs> but nowhere is 15 minutes away <laughs> well you know morongo casino is That's true. 45 less than 45 minutes from wherever yeah. you are yeah uh so, uh, at the Phoenix Foundation, they are live streaming with Carla Bannister. Right. Now, Bannister is obviously a character that we know well. Yeah, another gender swap Phoenix Foundation agent. Uh, previously, Craig Bannister, mm-hmm. as portrayed by Michael Goodwin uh, in a couple episodes. I'm going to say season one, episode maybe 20, Enemy Within, mm-hmm. or somewhere around there. 
Yeah. And season two, episode maybe twenty again, Friends. Friends. The for... clip show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he had he had that one walk on kind of a. No, no, that was friends. No, that, that was, was also friends. friends yeah. yeah. But um, but we actually interviewed him for both of those episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the day, but here we have Carla Bannister. Right, is the is the new Bannister agent. Um, she doesn't get much screen time either. Yeah, she she's calling in from the uh, bunker from the uh, head of the Russian this this Russian breakaway faction who wants to go back to the USSR and and of course Jack keeps making uh, back in the USSR. Yeah, like jokes. Yeah, uh, the man that they're going after is a nem- man named. Uh, Sevchenko. Yeah, I'm gonna say that Sevchenko. Which I'm pretty sure is a name that Elia Baskin has been given in something. It's oh, I'm like. sure. They, when he's not Boris or Beef. Yeah. <laughs> or Vladimir, or Dmitri. Nikolai. I think he was a Nikolai. Um, she uh, Bannister is inside a uh, one of the weapon installations for Sevchenko. And inside this installation is a gigantic metal crate. Right. And she's using sort of a modified uh, Geiger counter mm-hmm. that's beeping instead of clicking. Yeah. But the implication is that there is radioactive material in this container, mm-hmm. but she's not able to get into it because it's locked. <laughs> but it's, uh, it seems like it's all rubber. Yeah. Like the, the doors seem rubber when she pulls them open, which doesn't seem like it fits the time period it should have been a giant metal container it, it also seems like it's supposed to be some kind of lead container so it seems yeah, like it shouldn't would... be like a rubber made <laughs> container it, it it doesn't seem like uh if it was supposed to be lead that you would get as much radiation readings from it yeah not from the outside but then uh basically macgyver says stand down we're gonna send a whole team out there to deal with it mm-hmm. and she says we don't have time we have to confirm whether this is a nuclear weapon or just like because a, it might uran- not be here tomorrow, yeah, yeah, or if it's just a, a uranium stock, right? Because we know that Sevchenko um, has been stockpiling depleted uranium right. from uh, reactors. Um, but when she makes that point, they decide, okay, well, there's nothing we can do about it. MacGyver instructs her to move the camera she's communicating with them on closer to the lock, so that he can inspect it and try and find a way to get into it. And he says, well, this is, a, this is a kind of lock that was pretty popular in the 60s. And then later on, they started to use it for bike locks. But then they stopped using it for bike locks because people could pick them with ballpoint pens. Mm-hmm. And he says, do you have a ballpoint pen? And she says, no, I don't. And then he says, okay, you have your service weapon. And that's a Glock. Can you take right. a bullet out and discard everything but the shell, which should be the same width of a, as a ballpoint pen? And I, so, think, I think a 9mm round is considerably thicker than a ballpoint pen. Uh, But uh, maybe I'm just using really skinny pens. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, so he instructs her to take the shell and then basically jam it into the mag backwards Mm. so that the cylinder point is facing out and now she can use it as a wrench. Mm -hmm. And she punches it into this old bike lock basically and twists it until suddenly the thing just unlocks. Yeah. I, I think, I think the implication here is that she's pulling out the entire lock cylinder. Right. So regardless of, of the position of the lock, she, she's shoved it in there. She's basically extracted it like, yeah. um, like a core sample. Right. Um, that this is actually how, uh, unfortunately how my car glove box 
Glock works. Oh yeah. So so we could steal stuff from you with a with a Glock shell. Yeah. Well, what happened is like you know here you know giving us away here we live in Southern California, um, and when I used to park my car outside at at, uh, at work, um, in like 110 degree heat in the valley, um, the lock for my glove box is a is a tube lock, and but it was just held in by like some kind of glue. And the glue melted. So the thing just fell out. Yeah, I went to go unlock it because I always locked it. Because I kept it. <laughs> just twisted yeah, completely. Yeah, I, I, I locked it. And when I pulled <laughs> it out, it came out with my key. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then I couldn't unlock it because it was still in the lock position oh inside. And I had just removed the lock portion. So did you have to re-glue it? Oh, I had to take it in and have them. The, they the re-glued dealer. it. Yeah, they re-glued it for me. Um, but I was still able to unlock and unlock it. It was actually probably made it more secure because then I could just remove the entire lock. Yeah. And you had no, nothing to pick. It's like MacGruber walking around with this whole stereo system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't steal my stereo if I have it with me. Uh, yeah, so she's able to now open the container. And uh, the... big fat... Yeah. It looks like a, a like fat boy. Yeah, like it's, the, it's a very, like traditional if you were to draw have someone draw what an atomic bomb would look like it actually looks a lot like sarbamba which is like the the largest nuclear weapon ever dropped mm. um but yeah it's uh it's it's a big it's a big uh round bellied uh, bomb yeah with with a gigantic computer screen on it and it's giving some kind of a code readout but it's all like cold war era computing mm mm-hmm. So, uh, as, uh, but before they can get, like, a really good look at it, uh, a bunch of, of Sevjanko's men breach the room. Right. And they capture Bannister, and they're, they start asking her questions, but then they just kill her. They forget how interrogation works. So, they have her, basically, in the corner of the room. They could handcuff her and torture her for information. Mm-hmm. They could do all kinds of things, but instead they say, who do you work for? Who do you work for? Blam. And then they just shoot her in the face. And then they look up and they see that there's a camera pointed at them. Mm-hmm. And they do an even less explainable thing by just saying, we're going to figure out who you guys are. And then he kicks the camera in to break it. Yeah. But even while that's happening, Patricia is yelling, Bannister, Bannister, are you there? And it's yeah. Like, First of all, we just saw her get shot. She's, so you know what happened there. She's dead. You're hoping against hope there. Or she's going to turn on us. <laughs> like yeah. they just <laughs> faked it. But um, also, uh, you shouldn't be giving away the agent's name. Yeah. <laughs> like, like we know for a fact over the course of this episode that that's like her name, her family name. Um, and so she, you could be giving away the agency she works for just by saying who she is My, specifically. What I think might have been going on is that Bannister had an earpiece in. Yeah. And so she, no one else can hear what Patricia's saying. Oh, okay. That's and, possible. And so she's yelling Bannister into Bannister's dead ear. Still doesn't make sense because you know she's dead. Yeah. Unless they thought that she was just shot in the stomach or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and the reason that they could hear Zevchenko speak... Is because the mic is on the camera. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so yeah, he kicks... But it's like, what what camera was she carrying that was kickable? Yeah. Like, it would probably have been a phone... If anything. Yeah, not like it, a full laptop. Yeah. Um, so as they're reviewing the footage of her murder, and... Well, is it murder if you're a spy? Is it murder in wartime? Yeah. Cold wartime? No, I, I, I would say murder. Because he's not operating uh, uh, on orders of the state. Yeah. 
That's true. It's an execution. It's definitely an execution. Uh, they start examining what they can see of the bomb from the from the footage, and they can see that obviously there's an old, outdated computer system, which Riley says that just by looking at the coding on it, that this uh, operating system is unique to this device. Yeah, it's, she doesn't recognize any of the the file extensions, and she says like this isn't just outdated. This is proprietary and possibly proprietary specific to this one bomb mm-hmm. so we need to find who coded this exact bomb and they find uh not a serial number but a a code name written on the bomb firebird right and which is also the team they work for sort of yeah that that, that i think that there's gonna be a lot of well there's gonna be a lot of like uh Symmetry, paralleling yeah over yeah. the course of this episode uh and uh we also get another paper clip uh, right, uh, origami. Because we are in Patricia's office, so we get the the requisite origami of um, MacGyver folding a paperclip into a shape that you couldn't fold it into with your hands. Exactly. Um, and this time, it's like two interlocking infinity symbols. So now we've had the phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, last week Celt- was like a Celtic symbol, yeah. and then these two interlocking infinities. I'm trying to figure out if maybe they're spelling a word with the shapes or mm. what's going on. I don't know. Um, I think it relate. I think well, if I were to say what the two infinity symbols is, it relates to the two pairs, like MacGyver and Jack, and then yeah. later on uh, Alexander and Victor. Yeah. But anyway, uh, they from the code name they're able to dig up some files on a Russian scientist who built the bomb and defected to the United States in the, I think they said the 1970s. Yeah. And so luckily he's still alive and even luckier that we get Ilya Baskin to come back. Yeah. This is his third MacGyver episode. Um, his first appearance was uh, season one, episode 21 prisoner of conscience. And then he mm-hmm. came back uh, for Soft Touch, which yeah. was another Penny Parker episode. So this is the second time that he's been in a Penny Parker episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, his third appearance on the show, the first as this character. Last mm-hmm. time he was playing the same character in those two episodes. Um, but in this one, he's a new guy. Uh, he is at a, a retirement home. Right. And uh, there's a couple of, there's a quick scene of him trying to fix a TV remote control yeah. like in a MacGyver kind of style. Where It he... seems like someone who works at this old folks home was tired of listening to The Price is Right mm-hmm. and messed up the remote in such a way that the volume doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And so he's trying to cut open the remote using a steak knife from the person sitting next to him mm-hmm. to try and fix it himself. Yeah, he, he pries open the casing and then he grabs a pin from a pin cushion. Yeah. Um, before, and then one of the orderlies catches him doing it, and it's yeah. like, "Oh well, you're not supposed to have all this sharp stuff." And it's like, maybe don't leave a pincushion out here. Yeah, and and who who gave this woman the steak knife? Yeah. <laughs> and the Price is Right comes on in the morning. Who's eating a steak? I guess you have steak and eggs, but yeah, um, at a retirement home. Yeah, maybe not. They should probably be eating a little bit healthier. Uh, so MacGyver, Riley, and Jack arrive to uh, take a look for Alexander Orlov, but. Inexplicably, he confuses them for, like, Spetsnats. Yeah. Because as soon as they hear his name... Because I'm assuming he's he's operating under a new name. Yeah. So when but he... But they hear that they're looking... He hears that they're looking for Orlov. Yeah. And uh, so he makes a run for it. But first he uh, grabs a cord from the TV 
and he wraps it around the uh, the the pneumatic arm or the hydraulic arm. Is it yeah. pneumatics? I think it's. I think they're actually hydraulics. Yeah. Um, the hydraulic arm of the door, so it can't be opened. And MacGyver's like super impressed. Yeah, he looks through the window. He's like, "Oh, that's that's pretty neat." And then Jack's like, "Oh, he's like an old you." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which like we've already made that determination that he's like, "Oh, I already get how they're shooting this." Like he's supposed to be MacGyver. Mm-hmm. Uh, Riley spots Orlov trying to break into a Prius, and yeah, she's like Grandpa Theft Auto. <laughs> uh, cause. Because Grand Theft Auto, yeah, Grand Theft Auto. Auto, hilarious. Um, but uh, Orloff grabs a rock, and it goes through the the side windshield like it's paper. Yeah, and it's like no, that doesn't work That's like not that. How these windows work. Yeah, like the, you, there's many of great videos of people trying to smash open windows. Yeah, that just things just bounce off of them. It's tempered yeah. glass. Um, the only way you can break them. Easily is uh with with some... one of those punch things. Well, there's one of those punch things, yeah, those work yeah. great. Um, but uh, I need to get one of those. The the uh, the nickname for them is Ninja Rocks, but it's actually uh, a very specific type of porcelain uh, that they use on spark plugs. Okay, have you, have you seen this before? Uh-uh. Yeah, so it's pretty crazy because the you call them Ninja Rocks. Well, that's what they call them. Like, on if you would look up Ninja Rocks, you'd find this. Yeah. So basically, you take a you take a spark plug and you you break it apart to get the porcelain pieces, and because of the specific hardness of the porcelain versus the specific hardness of the glass, right? It's like a war of attrition. Like it's just like the the this just is a incredibly this more, trumps that yeah. So you could just like flick it at a window and just. Just ex- it just explodes. That's pretty cool, actually. Um, there's lots of cool videos about people like breaking. Uh, uh, it, it doesn't work. By the like way, a- for any of you MacGyver writers that are listening to our podcast, feel free and use that. That's yeah. pretty oh, yeah. cool. It's it's a really cool cool thing. Um, there actually uh, is actually uh, I think it's might be a misdemeanor to carry broken pieces of porcelain. Wow, really? Um, it, uh, just just because of it's such an easy way to break into a car. Huh. Because you just go... Kind of like how you can't have a bat unless you have gloves mm-hmm. and a ball in your car. Yeah. Oh, crap. Is that true? That's an easy, <laughs> easy workaround. <laughs> All right. I got gloves and a ball. Does that mean I can steal cars now? Uh, but anyway, yeah. So this Rocky throws wouldn't have gone through like that. Yeah. Unless it was made of porcelain. Right. <laughs> or he'd been working on this particular window for a long time. Yeah. Um. So uh, they have to convince, obviously, Alexander Orloff that uh, they're not KGB, and he mentions the MacGyver bo- gets close enough to like try and subdue him, and he's basically choking out MacGyver and accusing him of being KGB, and MacGyver is like kind of strangled but shouting back at him, oh, my KGB was disbanded before I was even born. <laughs> he gets punched <laughs> in the face. It's actually. Um, Pretty decent delivery. Uh, I I should have mentioned before now, but it's pretty clear that at this point in the episode already that Lucas Till is doing a much better job. Yeah. This oh, week. yeah. Um, Georgie's is obviously doing great, as always. Mm-hmm. But Lucas Till has really stepped it up. He feels more like an actual person and not like someone reading lines. Um, and I'm excited to see that continue. Yeah. Because it was actually very refreshing to see him as an actual character on the show. Might have something to do with some good direction. Yeah, Joe Dante. Uh, so they 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 mention the the name Firebird, and Orlov realizes that his his bomb 
still exists, even though it was supposed to be dismantled. Everyth- everything was supposed to be taken apart and separated and done with. But um, Orlov's bomb, they, they describe it as a fusion reactor, but I think it's it's just supposed to be an H-bomb. Yeah. It's just it's a fusion bomb. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so he knows how the computer system works, but there's a couple of there's a couple of catches. He doesn't have the passwords right. that were encoded into the computer system. And we learn that passwords are involved when they get on a basically a private jet that they're going to use to fly to another country. Oh, mm-hmm. well, hold on! Before before this, we still have a we're at the retirement home still. Because they need to call the guy who has oh, the right, passwords. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. So yeah. First he says, "Oh, we need the passwords." And there's there's only one other guy with the passwords. And then they say, uh, "Please tell me he's alive." And he's like, "Yeah, he's alive. Uh, yeah. We're the only two that are alive, actually." Um, I could try to give him a call. Give but, him your phone. <laughs> yeah, but um, as uh, uh, Jack sees what he's doing, he's actually using the Uber app. He's and like he's canceling he's like, drivers. Yeah, he's he keeps like, no, no, no. He's like, he's like, you don't need to call Uber. We have a car. He's like, nah, don't, don't worry. So a car pulls up and outsteps like in this old Russian man, and he sees uh, Alexander Orlov's character and, and immediately it, pulls a gun on him. Yeah, <laughs> so Jack has to take the gun away, and he yeah. pulls out a second gun. Yeah, and then, and when then he tries Jack to... wrestles that away, and then he goes for a gun in his in his boot. Yeah. <laughs> Jack's all it's like, well, come on, what are you doing? He's like, I like your style, man, but we're just here to talk. <laughs> but he also is convinced that these are all KGB agents that yeah. have surrounded Orlov. Um, but they eventually convince him, no, we're we're all on the same team here. Calm down. Um, we have to talk to you about some stuff. Yeah. So so now they have the two components. They have the the engineer who created the operating system and the guy who has the passwords. Yeah. The next step the is guy, the hothead yeah. who has the passwords and three guns on him. Which is, if uh, if Orloff is supposed to be old MacGyver, this is very clearly old Jack. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we move to the private jet. Yeah, now we're now we're in a private jet. Which, I could be mistaken, but I'm almost certain is the same private jet from the pilot that MacGyver was hanging out of the bottom of, that where they encountered Nikki on the mm. plane. And then we also saw it in another episode. Where well, they were in a, they were in a private jet a couple of times yeah. so far on the show, but I, I feel like they keep using the same one. Mm. Uh, Thornton calls in from Serbia, where she's apparently killed a bunch of men, right? Uh, and uh, she's attempting to uh, track down where they've gone. So they know yeah, that it's really weird. She's walking around this room, and there's just corpses all over the ground. And she's like, "Okay, so I have some new information for you guys." And it's like just a weird way to introduce her character when we mm-hmm. really haven't seen her in action. Yeah. At all on the show yet. Um, but the other weird thing about it is that the room that she's in really looks like a redecorated Nikki's apartment. Yeah, it doesn't me. It doesn't look like a warehouse because the windows yeah, are like... like bay windows yeah. behind her. Um, and it's all like tinted blue to make it look like mysterious. But mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they used the set of Nikki's apartment for this, this room. Um, but she's like stepping on bodies that are still twitching to try and like get them to stop moving so she can continue her conversation. And she says, you know, I found this new information and you need to change your course. Yeah. You need to head to head to me in Serbia, but they can't because another component that they need to, to shut down the bomb is the original computer that's used to program it. Yeah. And, uh, she, she does make a comment about, I'm my mother's daughter or something mm-hmm. like that, implying that her mom was also some kind of a super agent. Yeah. 
but um, that's that's as much family history as we're getting from her. And then MacGyver just hangs up. Yeah, on yeah. She says we only have 24 hours to click. <laughs> yeah, she's just like, all right, whatever. I, we're going to Serbia. Yeah, that's fine. We're we're going to Russia first. Um, Victor has the uh, the computer that they need hidden in a Russian safe house. I am um, I'm almost kind of curious because um, there's a really amazing anime series called Steins Gate. Um, in which they are trying to hack into um, this old computer database that was built on this like the like the first home portable computer. Yeah. Um, and like there's like none in existence, and they're trying to track one down so they can access this computer program. Yeah. Um, and almost, I I really feel like that this came from that. Yeah. A little bit, maybe. I'm I mean I'm sure that this is a plot of, of many different things, but. Um, I found it to be too, too, too close and yeah. too, too recent to not have been at least partially inspired. By yeah. Um, but benefit of the doubt, maybe, maybe like, you know, they got this other idea, but, but either uh, way, I'm really digging the MacGyverisms that deal with, oh, this is from the sixties. Mm-hmm. So in the intervening years, we've come up with ways to hack this that weren't options back then. Yeah. Uh, so Victor has one of the computers luckily stashed away in his safe house. Uh, All of the KGB agents were instructed to destroy these machines so that these bombs wouldn't be reprogrammed. Right. But Victor was having second thoughts about the organization Mm. and stashed one away, which Orlov hadn't even known until now. Yeah. And Orlov is like, wow, you you thought they were the bad guys too? Like, Mm. you actually were... You betrayed the order and like put this away in a safe. Like I'm actually kind of impressed. And he's like, "Yeah, if you'd have talked to me about it, you would have found out how I thought like mm-hmm. things were going." It, 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 it's paralleling the lack of communication between MacGyver and Jack. Right. And now here are these like guys who hadn't talked to each other in like 40 years because. And it turns out they would have been on the same side the whole time, mm-hmm. but to protect Victor Orloff, defected on his own and tried not to involve his friend and get him killed. Yeah. Uh, there's a weird situation that they bring up that that's like a non-problem problem where that the computer needs 240 volts in order yeah. to operate. And, and, uh, but you're saying the bomb won't be near enough to an outlet yeah. to use this cord. Well, or that the, the voltage might not be the voltage that they need. Right. But MacGyver just takes a laptop battery and what, put throws some wires re- on it. Yeah, and he's like, it's such an easy MacGyverism for him that he doesn't even have to break eye contact with yeah. with Elia for this whole conversation they have about like their backstory. He's just sitting there listening patiently, and then when he's done listening, he somehow like rewired this whole thing so that yeah. it's running off a laptop battery. Um, I also, I mean, I don't know enough about uh, batteries, but I really don't think a laptop battery outputs. 240 volts yeah i don't think so either and i think <laughs> if it was that it would kill that laptop battery way faster yeah. than a laptop would. um but somehow a much more inefficient machine uh but somehow throwing throwing these wires together yeah does the trick just kind of pressing them together without any kind of like adhesive mm-hmm. <laughs> just kind of pushing the wires against each other makes it work um thornton uh calls in again and now she's at a bar. <laughs> yeah. She's getting around town. I don't know how far into the season they're going to wait before they reveal that she travels via portal. <laughs> but it's got to happen because she, she didn't get to L.A. 
for, from LA to S- South America in the second episode. I'm, I'm really just hoping that they're actually like like a dozen or so Patricia Thorntons. Yeah, that would be. Funny. And they're they're placed all over the world. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So she's in a bar because she's in going. She's about to intercept a courier who is bringing information to uh, Sevchenko. Right. Uh, in in the form of a flash drive. Right. And she says, "Unless I've lost my touch, I'll have the information for you shortly." Right. Implying that she's probably going to try to like make sexual advances on this guy in order to get the See, information. See, I read it more as I'm going to leave another like room littered in corpses. <laughs> like I <laughs> the did entire bar earlier is today murdered. across the globe somewhere else. And this could easily be the same bar that uh, George Eats gets punched in the face by his good buddy Marco. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I feel like a lot of these sets are being reused early on. Uh. While uh, MacGyver and their team are at the safe house getting the computer ready, uh, Spetsnaz agents like descend upon them. Yeah. Uh, the implication is that they were identified at the airport, even yeah. though no one knows what they look like now. Yeah. Uh, Maybe it was the fact that they landed in a private jet. <laughs> yeah. It's not very discreet, guys. Um, so luckily, uh, Victor has a an escape tunnel uh, rigged up for him. Yeah. So while they're making their way through the tunnel, MacGyver finds a, a whole bunch of uh, uh, panic room food and storage, yeah. like long-term storage for, for different things. Two uh, giant bags of flour that he throws at Jack, mm-hmm. an alarm clock, um, some fuses, and something to start a, a fire. Yeah. Um, so as they're running through the tunnel, uh, MacGyver slashes open the uh, sacks of flour and is just filling the the hallway with like flower dust. Right. Which I think more would have just stopped the guys because they would have been like gagging and coughing and not been able to see. Yeah. Um, but instead he's going to do the, uh, the classic green explosion. Right. Uh, overly saturated particles in the air, which we've seen in a couple of MacGyver episodes. So yeah. far. I think the first time was target MacGyver, but I want to say they've done it since then. Um, uh, well they did it. He did it again. Like, he, they did it in Target MacGyver, but then he did it. He also did it in Thief of Budapest, kind of, where he he threw something up into the air in, in Thief of Budapest that he ignited, but it was like a powder. Yeah, I don't remember. And like we were like, what what was that? Um, but yeah, the green explosion they've definitely did in Target MacGyver. Yeah. Uh, so, but the moment that they get outside, I guess at some point. Between lighting the grain explosion and coming outside with Riley, uh, Alexander Orloff was kidnapped. Yeah. We I'm, don't see that happen at all. And we don't see Victor get shot or or hurt. Or attacked. And yeah. we don't know what Riley was doing that whole time. Yeah. But uh, they took they took Alexander Orloff. Sorry. <sighs> Could not stop that from coming on. <laughs> they took Alexander Orloff. Uh, but they didn't take the computer because Riley has the computer. Um, but now they don't have the guy who knows the with programming. With all the passwords. Oh, with the programming. Yeah, Victor has the passwords. He has the programming. She has the computer. Let's make lots of money. <laughs> Is that a song? Did I inadvertently stumble yeah. onto a song there? <laughs> well, the, the song goes, um, I've got the brains. You've got the looks. Let's make lots of money. Oh. It was the theme song for that Beauty and the Geek show. Oh, okay. I remember. I remember that show existed. It's also an existing song before that. But. Oh, okay. Uh, so, 
So after the attack, Thornton again appears. A wild Thornton appears. <laughs> and and she is now in Russia with them. She's got the flash drive, uh, presumably covered in the blood of her murdered victim. Yeah. And Riley managed to snatch a phone from one of the ag- one of the soldiers that attacked them. Yeah. Uh, and she says, well, uh, this was invented after I was born, so I can actually hack this thing. Yeah. And so... With that, with the phone, and now the uh, the flash drive, they're able to make some great leaps. Right. Uh, the flash drive just basically has some some specs on the bomb and uh, the potential target. Yeah. But because the blast radius is so large, they could be anywhere within a certain like amount of square miles from the target. But uh, MacGyver decides sort of arbitrarily that they are somewhere in an exactly three click radius mm-hmm. and just kind of veer around the target, uh, like spiral out from it, basically, and we'll look for signs of something. And Jack points out, wait, zoom in over here. This abandoned factory looks like no one's been there in years, and yet there's all these, like, fresh tracks in the dirt. And MacGyver's like, that's where we're going right now. Um, Um, They they mentioned that the bomb has a a large blast radius, but it would... would, The fallout would uh, leave... A location the size of Texas uninhabitable. Yeah, it's like I don't even think. I don't think that was possible with a bomb from that era. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think that's impossible with some of the bombs that we have now. Yeah, if you drop the bomb right in the middle of Texas, would it make all of Texas uninhabitable? Yeah, that's. that's I a, mean, I guess Texas is a bad example because it's fairly uninhabitable <laughs> now. Um, yeah, I mean, this seems like it's it's quite a high yield weapon. Yeah. Um, uh, so they head out to the warehouse, which is now swarming with soldiers. So they figure we came to the right place. Yeah. Uh, Alexander Orloff is being interrogated by Sevchenko because Sevchenko wants more of these gigantic bombs. He and says, give me more weapons so I can end the world. And he says, no. And he says, I'll kill your nephew. It's like, you're going to end the world. Yeah. <laughs> My nephew's going to die in this war anyway. Uh, yeah, so uh, he beats the information out of him, and so now Sevchenko, off-screen, has the knowledge to build more bombs. How he related this very complex information yeah. to him is like, yeah, you just it's need like, some okay, uranium. Okay, I admit it, the code is just backwards. <laughs> it's just uh, it's just MS-DOS, but backwards. <laughs> it's, it was <laughs> Sodsum. Yeah, Sodsum. Uh, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm assuming that the formula for uh, a hydrogen bomb is one part uranium and two parts hydrogen. I, I figure, I feel like that's the only yeah. information that he was would have been that's able to give him. That's all you need. Uh, and his team uh, use a a truck that's nearby as a battering ram to break through into the warehouse. Yeah. Uh, they're all hiding out inside the former metal casing that the bomb was in, which also you know is full of radiation, as we know. Yeah, they should uh, all have some pretty severe cancers. Um, so there's a great, huge shootout. Once again, MacGyver's not taking part in the shootout, but he is not convincing anyone else to not shoot other people. Yeah. Uh, He's not one for looking a gift gun in the mouth on mm-hmm. this series. Sevchenko uh, starts up the bomb, and uh, he tells his team that they need to move out, and they have 15 minutes to reach minimum safe distance. Uh, a pair of soldiers head up the stairs, towards uh, Jack and Riley, and she rolls a barrel down the stairs and just crushes both of them. Yeah. 
And then Jack pops out. He's like, did you just Donkey Kong those fools? <laughs> There's a lot of really great moments in this episode. Yeah. Uh, uh, Alexander Orloff is close to the bomb and like there's like too many guards like it uh by near cover. Yeah. So MacGyver finds like a, a winch that's nearby and he scoots along on a small like a like a one of those little things you go underneath a car to, yeah, to do like repairs a on. Roller board thing. Yeah. Um he slides over, yanks Orla of to the ground on his chair, puts him on the board, and then has Riley winch him back towards him to, yeah. to to safety, which is actually a really cool move. But it leaves MacGyver exactly where Orlov was. Yeah, exactly. Um, Sevchenko, uh, gets the information that, uh, that, uh, they're surrounded and they need to get out of there. Bang, bang. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, his, his, his second in command comes to inform him, look, we're not going to make it out of here if we don't leave now. Yeah. And then that guy just gets shot immediately. And Sevchenko- I wonder if, if he got shot in every take or if his line delivery was so bad that finally they were like, all right, we're just going to kill you halfway through this sentence. Yeah. <laughs> so Sevchenko just dives out a window and makes a run for it. Yeah. Uh, Jack and uh, Patricia Thornton are, are chasing down him while MacGyver, Riley, and Victor and Orloff are left to take care of the bomb. Uh, so they start hooking up the computer, but the first thing is that the keyboard is broken. Right. Just a few keys. Yeah, just a few keys, like the, the return key. Uh, so MacGyver rigs up a, a system where Orlov's body will complete the circuit for those particular keys when right. he touches these metal objects. So he can type out a line of code and then tap on a metal thing nearby, yeah. and it'll act as a return key. Um, Which he he interprets it as being like, oh, I'm becoming one with my machine, the mm-hmm. child that I created. Um, while they're trying to enter in the codes, Victor gets shot. And uh, so he's fading fast, and... But uh, it doesn't matter because uh, Orlov says that this isn't working. Like, this computer's too slow, and there's too much information we have to enter. Yeah. And um, and they only have, like, I think they had, like, like they were in within the 30-second limit. Yeah. Uh, Jack and Patricia managed to subdue Sevchenko, who, of course, is telling them, look, you, okay, you got me, but we need to get out of here. Yeah. We still need to get out of here. And then MacGyver takes a very, like, layman... Uh, MacGyverism yeah. to get out of the problem, which is to say, oh, wait, how many characters did you guys use for the year? Mm-hmm. It's like, two, why? It's like, okay, come on, Orlov, you were alive in 2000. <laughs> you yeah. heard about Y2K. Yeah, so uh, the fact that many old, compu- very old computers uh, only use two digits for the date. They During did- the Cold War, people didn't know that we would still have computers after the new century. Or at least that the computers that were running on this operating system would, would still be in use. Yeah. Um, that was, it wasn't, that was actually an issue that was corrected really quickly. Yeah. Like, like, no, no, no. You remember like for a while we just didn't have electricity and yeah. all those people who stockpiled all that stuff, they were, they were fine. But the rest of us, we were just scrounging like the road. It's uh, like a Cormac McCarthy nightmare. Yeah, it's like my one of my oldest, like not my oldest computer, but uh, my PowerPC Mac, my uh, Performa LC five seven five. It had it had four digits for the date, and that was like nineteen nineties. So yeah, I don't like, think I had anything that was affected by. Yeah, the, the only thing I can remember that I ever used that was affected by Y two K were the computers at Blockbuster. Yeah, because the next day there were all these stories about like. Oh, this this movie was a millennium overdue, and so mm-hmm. this guy had to pay billions of dollars. And yeah. he's like, no, he didn't. 
No. They just erased it. They, uh, yeah, Y2K, what a letdown. Although... It didn't ruin anything. It sucked. Everything was great. Uh, I do... I did, there was an amazing commercial I remember from that time. It was like a... I, can't, I think it was a Nike commercial where this guy's going out for a jog. And it's like New Year's... Planes falling out of the sky. Yeah, yeah. It was like it was like New Year's Day. So yeah. it was after New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Yeah. Like, uh, and they're playing like uh, Old Lang Syne. Yeah. And as he's running, like you just see like planes and missiles yeah, yeah, like yeah. going off. And like... There's like Things exploding. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's, there's, there's like huge car accident. There's like a little girl screaming and crying and people like throwing Molotov cocktails, ATMs <laughs> throwing money. Yeah. And the whole thing, like he's just running. It's all happening. Zoo animals. And yeah. he just passes another jogger and they go, hey. Hey. <laughs> I was like, that's the most amazing commercial ever. Uh, Y2K. So with the Y2K glitch in place, right. they were able to tell the computer, oh, yeah, by the way, it's actually uh, 1916. 1916. So don't set the bomb off for another century. Yeah. Please. So they had 100 years. Hopefully- I don't really understand what they did. Like if the thing only had a place for two digits for the year, then do they set it back? Like, I I don't understand. Like the well, I, I yeah, because it wasn't a timer. Like, hey, this is going to go off at this time on this day in 2016. Right. It was a timer that said, "I'm going to go off in this many minutes." Yeah. So the Y2K wouldn't really enter into the timing at all. If anything, they should have only had like uh, they should have only had 50 years. Because if if the if the bomb was built in like the 60s and was never turned on, so. When they when they programmed then it, the best they could do was turn it back to 1901. Yeah, um, so that that would still only be 60 years. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think, but you would never get 100 years out of it because it can't count up to 100 years. Exactly. Um, so I mean, but still, the con- I, I think the concept is sound. Sure. That that is like you know we we can't stop the timer. We'll, we'll reset the date, and then yeah. the computer will go oh, so 30 seconds. 30, 30 minutes from when I was activated in 1960 now is now from 1916. Yeah. Blah, blah, well, whatever. I, I can't do this. <laughs> I, I, the, the bomb literally can't even. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot. Does that help? Uh, I cannot even. <laughs> uh, Victor, unfortunately, uh, gives his last words to Alexander Orloff about their friendship and um, that about protecting one another uh, as friends Yeah. Uh, before he passes. And MacGyver and Jack kind of share like a moment with each other. Like afterwards, like that's going to be us. Like if, if we keep keeping secrets from each other, we're going to split up one day and we're going to regret it. Uh, and so they kind of have like a moment where no more secrets, but they've already kind of feel like they've had this conversation before yeah, yeah. with, when when MacGyver was first investigating Nikki, I feel like you can't keep doing this. Like I can't keep covering for you. We need to be honest with each other. I feel like this has happened already. Yeah. And then we get two sort of fifth acts. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, Riley takes Alexander Orloff back to the retirement home. Right. But decides to stay with him. Yeah, because watch- like at first she thinks like, oh, I brought him home. He should be fine. And he's like, oh, I got my chair. I got my show. Here's my remote. And he doesn't look at all upset about being there. Yeah. And we've already covered the fact that if he wanted to, he could leave in a second. Mm-hmm. He knows how to call Uber. He knows how to steal cars. Yep. He knows how to get out of the building. And he can prevent people from following him. So there, it's not like he's there 
against his will. Right. Well, he, he he understands the nature of his cover ID is that he has to be this person. Right. But then she's she looks at him and she looks at the show and she says, "Oh, is this the Price is Right? Oh, this is my jam. I could I could totally hang out with you and watch this for a minute." Mm-hmm. And even though there's an empty seat right next to him, she sits on his armrest. Yeah. And just kind of awkwardly like nods at him while he's trying to push the volume button. But we already established that the volume button is disabled. Yeah, it does not work. And and, and yeah. she just looks at him like, "Yep." Yep. Yes. You're, yes. you're doing and so good. And then it good. fades to black. <laughs> and then it fades back in, and we're in the car with uh, with Jack and Patricia as they're pulling yeah. up to the Bannister home. Oof. And I'm expecting a husband and children to be notified of uh, of Bannister's uh, facial Death. eruption. But uh, instead, they're telling her parents. Yeah. So because it, she's a young enough agent that... Um, her parents were the ones to be notified. It ends on such a such a down note. Yeah. Um, we just hold on the the mailbox outside the banister home. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So uh, and that's that's where we leave it. I mean, very somber, very somber ending. Yeah. But I would say this is my favorite episode so far. Yeah, because there there was just a lot of thought that was that went into it. Yeah. Not just the parallels between. Uh, the Jack Mack relationship and the Victor um, Alex relationship, mm-hmm. but just in terms of the whole like Cold War stuff, I really like the Cold War stuff, and that was a mainstay yeah. of the original series, and so it's fun to go touch back on that. Well, and touch and back on the old technology. Yeah, yeah, the, the, like you know, during the MacGyver of the eighties, it, it was all in the present using present old technology. Yeah. But now they're having to look back at like antiquated computers. And, and this is stuff that was old in the eighties, even mm-hmm. like this would have been old to Richard Dean Anderson's MacGyver. Yeah. Uh, but, but still within 20 years of functioning. Right. Not, not uh, 50 years. Yeah. But in the whole episode, I th- I feel like when Lucas Till is telling us what he's doing or explaining how something works it sounds more like he knows it Mm -hmm. in this episode than it previously did like it usually sounded like he was reading you know these are the ingredients for this and this is how this happens yeah but now it actually feels like he knows what he's talking about and there's there's a levity to it that wasn't there before also uh a lot more macgyverisms in this episode like there's a lot of stuff that he does in this and uh, I think I, I really like the conversation about like, do you have a ballpoint pen? Oh no, okay, we don't have a ballpoint pen. Even though that it would be so easy for there to just be a ballpoint pen in the room for the writers. Right. What's another thing we could use? Okay, well we could use a a, a gun shell. Like that's the kind of stuff that on the original show they would do, where they where MacGyver would be like, okay, what am I going to do? Okay, I'm going to hook up to this drain pipe. Oh, it doesn't work. Okay, <laughs> then I got to hook this other thing up to it so that way it'll everything will reach. And it's just like, I really like that stuff when they show him come up with the wrong idea first and then improvise the next right, idea. Right, right, right. And it makes sense that, I mean, it was it was the standard issue weapon. So he's like, I already know you have this on you. Mm-hmm. It's not like she just happened to have it. It's like, no, you would have this on you. You can use it. Um, Patricia made a point of saying that she was going to bring Bannister's body home. Yeah. But I don't remember them ever finding it. Because, like, it's not like Sevchenko's going to bring the body around with him. Yeah, I don't even think they found out where that initial hideout was where she was staying unless yeah. she told them before. Um, so I'm not, I'm not quite sure what happened with that. Um, also, I'm not convinced she's dead. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. 
it's it's like I think it'd be weird to have Bannister and Nikki both come back as villains. As villains, yeah, I guess so. But you know, when you have when you, when the you're, only you're, two female Phoenix Foundation employees yeah. that are not the owner of the company, they're forming a Jane Silent Bob like girl like criminal ring. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's just weird to like because obviously we're introduced to two reoccurring characters names anyway as far as Bannister and Penny Parker. Yeah. In this episode, so. And I think there's more to come in this first season, even. Oh, I'm sure. I think we're getting back the character from Countdown that diffused bombs with MacGyver in Vietnam. Oh, Charlie? Yeah, I think Charlie's coming back. Uh, And, yeah, so it's just weird to uh, introduce a familiar character only to kill them. Yeah. Like, because you could just kill off anybody. It didn't have to be Bannister. Yeah. Like, what is the significance of, of calling Bannister other than just to say, oh, remember Bannister was another hey, character? remember? We, we, we looked up a list of Phoenix Foundation employees, and mm-hmm. this was on it. Uh, I mean, if you're going to kill somebody, kill the lady that dies at the beginning of Phoenix Under Siege. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, somebody who died on the show anyway. But Bannister was, like, a part of the show for a while. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of a strange choice. Yeah. If she is dead. Yeah. But, it, I mean, it probably actually should have been that. What was her name? Susan Murphy or whatever? Yeah, Susan Murphy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, She man. actually got less screen time on the original series than Bannister did here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, God, Phoenix Under Siege is such a crazy weird It really episode. is. Precursor to Die Hard. Um, check it out uh, if you haven't seen it. <laughs> you get to watch MacGyver make some homemade non-alcoholic eggnog. Mm-hmm. And you get to watch uh, a lady karate kick herself out of, out <laughs> of window. Pete's window. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but yeah, uh, this was a great episode. And I'm not just saying this because Joe Dante was the director. Nope. And, and, I mean, we are a little biased. We have but, to admit that up front. But I think it was better writing, yeah. better direction, better acting, uh, and just better storytelling in general. Yeah. And if, if the show continues in this direction from... You know, last week's episode being pretty fun to this week's episode being another step up. Yeah. Then I totally see this getting picked up for another season, and I'm excited to review another episode. Yeah. Um, as far as cast notes, I didn't really go over many of them, but oh, you Baskin, we obviously mentioned mm-hmm. his previous MacGyver appearances, but he's also um, well known as uh, he plays cosmonauts and various things, a yeah. lot of Russian characters, um, but. Uh, Both heroes and villains. I mean, yeah, yeah. He, he was a villain in uh, in the in Air Force One. Right, but um, he was uh, Spider-Man's landlord in mm-hmm. uh, two and three, I think. Yeah, the one that was always trying to set Peter up with his uh, daughter. His daughter, um, in the the canon Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also uh, a cosmonaut named Dimitri in Transformers Three: Dark of the Moon. Yeah. Um, uh, and he was Maxim in uh, 2010. The year yeah, 2010. Oh, that's such a great movie. We also had a recurring appearance of Roy Coulter, who in the in the pilot episode played a guard. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure where the guard was. He may have been yeah. the guard at the house that they stole the biologic from initially. But here he played military police, it says. Yeah, and this was a guy I brought up at the time. Yeah, uh, that like, plays he, all refs and guards. Yeah, and he was like a military, he's a military vet and everything. He's got a really interesting backstory. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Bannister was played by Selena and Anduze? Anduze? Anduze, Anduze. 
I'm sorry. For, I'm yeah. so bad with names. It's yeah. not fair. Uh, <laughs> not a lot of other credits I recognize. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, certainly, like, I recognize I think shows. we had a few people from Nashville this week. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I, I, I definitely recognize the show she's been in, but yeah. um, I, I don't watch them, unfortunately. And, and Victor was played by Oleg Krupa, who ended yeah. up getting the second, like, also starring credit uh, during the opening credits here as, like, the second... Uh, second name after Elia Baskin. Yeah. Uh, he has a lot of credits. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one that I think is probably the most important is that he played uh, one of the four wet bandits in uh, Home Alone 3. Yeah. Um, um, that's, I, that's just between the Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern years, and the Missy Pyle, uh, French Stewart years, <laughs> where there were four people who I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> including this guy. Um, I, I I definitely recognized his face. Yeah, I, and and I hadn't seen I haven't seen Checky Cario in a long time in anything. Yeah, um, and I thought it might have been him. Yeah, because uh, just the mannerisms and, and the style of his face. But what I actually remember him from mostly was he played a character in uh, Mark Wahlberg's The Italian Job. Oh, okay. Um, he played like this. Uh, uh, I think he's supposed to be Ukrainian in that movie. Yeah, where. Edward Norton's character kills like his nephew and they blame it on Mark Wahlberg's character. They should do an episode of this series where they recycle a bunch of footage from Mark Wahlberg's Italian job. Just <laughs> like in the original series, they, they use like 12 minutes of footage from the right, original right, right. Italian job. That would actually be really awesome. <laughs> uh, Just a bunch of mini Coopers flying downstairs. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, like like a lot of times he's just playing uh, different Russians uh, in different things. Yeah. But altogether, a, a, a fun cast. Um, it's only a matter of time before Bozer gets kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gonna happen. I don't know when we see Penny Parker next, but hopefully it's not too um, long. I don't. I don't. I don't see anything for that actress uh, coming up. But IMDb is user updated. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. And so. Even though there should be someone at the network. Yeah, exactly. But um, you know, they might be trying to keep things quiet, or, or, or what. But I, she does not have any more credits for this series for this season. season. Yeah. I'm trying to find her here. That'd be really crazy if they just burned her out like that. Just one episode of MacGyver, just like, oh, she's just in the beginning. Oh, that was my ex-girlfriend. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's the other Nashville uh, actress along with the Bannister. I think there's there might even be a third person from Nashville, but she's also uh, on Halt and Catch Fire, which I actually have been really meaning to watch. I only saw the first season of that, but it was not for me. No, um, I, I. But I, I do like um, the guy that plays the boss. Uh, Lee Pace. No, the oh. the guy that owned the company in the in the beginning of the series, Toby Huss. Oh yeah, Toby Huss is great. Toby Huss is awesome. Um, but I also love all the other people in it. It's like you know Mackenzie Davis and Lee Pace. It's like, yeah, I like Mackenzie Davis too. I, sh- I should be watching this show, but I'm not. <laughs> and Lee Pace hasn't done much uh, wrong yet. Yeah. I really like The Fall. The Fall's great. I mean, you know, he, I mean, he was in the Lord of the Rings prequel, uh, The Hobbit movies. Well, nobody, but... Nobody's batting a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was great in Guardians. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mackenzie Davis is, is pretty cool. Distracting, uh, you turd blossom. <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> I love that line delivery. <laughs> uh, I can't wait for Guardians 2. I also 
I've also come to really like um, that Karen Gillan. Uh, oh yeah, Andromeda. Yeah, she's 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 pretty great. Nebula. Nebula. Sorry. Yeah, but because um, I really, I've been, we watched Oculus recently. But uh, anyway, back to MacGyver. Uh, but I think good episode. Yeah, good episode. Check yeah. it out. Uh, Four stars. <laughs> pull up your uh, thing again and tell me what next week's episode is called. Knife. I still like yours. Uh, Keychain. <laughs> Nail file. All right. I think that's about it for Wire Cutter. Um, if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us on this or any other episode, you can find us on Twitter at Opening Gambit. You can find us at Facebook.com slash Phoenix Foundation Podcast or our website, PhoenixFoundationPodcast.com. And if you're digging the show, feel free to review us on iTunes. Tune in next week when we cover Reboot Season 1, Episode 5, Toothpick. which is the last one that imdb has a title for yeah before it skips ahead like crazy yeah it it goes toothpick and then episode six which is just called 1.6 and then for some reason it skips to 1.10 right now that'll probably change inside of the next week but otherwise we're just going to give you a number to look forward to at the end of next week's episode also can i bring up a point that wire cutter yeah uh, cutters cutters no one says can you give me some wire cutter can you hand me that wire cutter yeah, sure, just this half of it? Yeah. Here you go. I need some wire cutters. I always hear Can a plural. Can you give me that scissor? Yeah. No, that's not what they call it. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was really weird, and it bothers also, me. Also, this is the dumb way to name your episodes. Yeah. Although, again, we never see these episode titles on screen, and they could mm-hmm. be entirely made up by someone who's just, oh, I'm just going to call the episodes this, and people will think that's what the episode's called. We yeah. have no idea what any of these episodes are called. Who knows? But that's all we got for now. Mm-hmm. And thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you.